0: I wonder what we're going to talk about today. If you would take your Bibles, have them ready, uh, study sheets if you uh, use those. We started, just introduced, a new fall series last Sunday. The title of the series is The One Another's More Than Just Sunday Clothes. Um, we're going to be talking about some of the one another teachings. Um, Almost 40 of them in the New Testament, all dealing with relationships, how we should relate to each other. Uh, We're going to be looking at probably seven or eight of them, so not even half of them, uh, during this series. Uh, The idea of this graphic And the title of the series, The One Another's More Than Just Sunday Clothes, is that we want to look at these one another teachings as what God has put into our closets. God has filled the closets of those who belong to him with all of these one another teachings. And he wants us to wear them, to practice them in our lives. But often what we do is we pick the two or three that we like the best and are the easiest for us to practice. And those are the ones that we wear and we practice. And we leave all the other one another's in our closet. The others are difficult. The others take too much energy. And so we leave them in the closet, and we just pick two or three. And sometimes we only practice them on Sundays. The idea of this series is that we need to have empty closets. We need to have closets that have none of these one another's hanging there, because we are wearing them all. We have the layered look every day of the week as we go out and wear all of these one another teachings and practice them. So that's kind of the idea, the idea of the the title and the emphasis that we're going to have as we look at the one another teachings uh, this time, because we we talk about them a lot. We're going to talk about two of them today. Uh, I want you to see them first. Before we go to our main passage, Um, Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, and verse 13, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. So that's one of the two one-anothers that we'll look at today. Serve one another. And notice, in love. Serve one another in love. The second one that we'll look at today is uh, mentioned in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5. And it's the last part of verse 5. 1 Peter 5, 5, the last statement. He says, All of you, clothe yourselves. So Peter even uses the same illustration we're using of wearing, clothing ourselves. He says, All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So the second one another that we're going to look at today is um, be humble toward one another, show humility toward one another. And what we're going to see is that these two one another's fit together. They go hand in hand. Because if we're really going to serve one another, it's going to take humility. To really serve one another in the way that we're going to see this morning, we're going to have to be humble. And so we'll, we'll see how that works. Uh, we're going to look at how Jesus presented this idea of humbly serving. So if you would turn to John chapter 13. <clears throat> John chapter 13. Jesus becomes an example of these two one another's. Obviously, Jesus' closet was empty when he was here he had all the one another's on him he he practiced them all every day and these are two that he wore these are two that he practiced serving humbly humility service so let's uh let's pray and we'll see how he taught this and how he exemplified it Father, we come to you and we just ask you to to make this teaching fresh. Uh, Father, uh, one of the dangers of talking about the one another so much is that um, we stop listening, and uh, they're so familiar. Lord, help us not to stop listening today. Let this become fresh in our minds and our hearts again. The importance of serving one another and doing it humbly. Father, uh, speak to our hearts. Through Jesus. In his name. Amen. Let me read this passage for you. Follow along. It's uh John chapter 13. It's taking place in the upper room. Uh this is that last night before Jesus is arrested and um he suffers on the cross and and dies. But this is Jesus and his disciples in the upper room that evening. Verse 1, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Well then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is a familiar passage. We're going to go through it. Try to understand what Jesus is up to here and what he is communicating through his actions. Um, You'll you'll notice number three on your uh, study sheet outline has to do with what Jesus did. What he did is obvious. It's very clear in the text. He washes his disciples' feet. That's what he did. But we have to get some context. We have to get some things that lead up to this that will help us understand what he's doing but also will amaze us at what he's doing. So let's get some context first. Okay. First of all, we need to know some things that Jesus has already been teaching these 12 men prior to what he's doing here. In uh, Mark chapter 9, we have an occasion where as they are traveling, Jesus and his disciples, they come to Capernaum, Mark nine thirty-three, and Jesus asks the disciples, what were you arguing about on the road? Apparently they were. As they were traveling and, and walking along, they were arguing about something. And so Jesus asked, what were you arguing about? It says, but they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. It's a little competition going on among the disciples. And they were arguing about which one of them was the greatest. And Jesus took this opportunity, the next verse, sitting down, He called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. So there Jesus gives a brief teaching about the importance of being a servant. You're arguing about greatness? I tell you, being a servant is what you should be thinking about. Then if you go to Mark chapter 10, The next chapter, starting in verse 35, we're told about the time when James and John, those two brothers, came to Jesus, and they wanted him to let them sit, verse 37, at his right and the other at the left in glory. They wanted the best seats in the kingdom, right next to Jesus, and uh Verse 41 says that the other ten were upset that they were asking because, remember, they're competing. They're, you know, disputing about who is the greatest. Jesus takes opportunity. Verse 42, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So for the second time, Jesus takes opportunity. He goes a little further into it the second time to teach them about servanthood that it's not about greatness it's about being a servant and serving one another and he adds that's why i came i came to serve turn to luke chapter 22 luke 22 <clears throat> Verse 24. Now, in the context here, we find out they're in the upper room. This is Luke's account of the upper room. It says in verse 24, also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Can you imagine? Um, They're in the upper room. It's a serious time. They're sharing the Passover meal. Jesus has probably already started sharing some of his heart, um, some important things, and it says, "They are still arguing about who's the greatest." And so they're in the upper room, probably just a little bit before our passage in John 13. Jesus goes on to say, verse 26, But you are not to be like that, other people. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, the one who rules, like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. So even there in the upper room, he has already had to repeat his teaching about the importance of being servants and serving each other. So, back to John 13. It looks to me like what John records in chapter 13 is that at this point, Jesus moves from verbal instruction about being servants. He's already done that three times. Three different times he taught them verbally about the importance of being servants and serving each other. And now the argument comes up again in the upper room, and so he decides to move from verbal instruction to demonstration. He is now going to demonstrate what he has been trying to teach them these three different times. Servanthood. And so the way he does it is how? Again, it's very clear. He washes their feet. That becomes his demonstration of humble servanthood. But before we look at what he did in a little more detail, there's one more thing we have to see in the text that adds context and is what amazes me and what Jesus does here. Take your Bible. If you mark in your Bibles, I want you to mark three places. Because you want to see this. You want to see this stand out in your text. First of all, in verse 1, we have the words, Jesus knew. If you have those words in your Bible, underline them, circle them, whatever. Jesus knew. Verse 3. Jesus knew. If you have those words in your Bible in verse 3, mark them. Jesus knew. And then for the third time in verse 11, it says, For he knew. Mark that. What you have marked now are three things that Jesus knew. Three places where John tells us that Jesus knew something. Let's look at that. Let's see what he knew. Verse 1, it says, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. As they're reclining there at the table in the upper room, having this meal together and all that's going on in their conversation, John says, Jesus knew what was ahead for him. Jesus knew what was going to be happening in the next hours and the next days. He knew. He knew he was going to be arrested. He knew he was going to be beaten. He knew he was going to be put on trial. He knew he was going to be crucified. He knew he was going to rise again. He knew after 40 days he would go back to heaven. John says he knew what was coming. The second thing he knew, verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. As Jesus is sitting there with these men in this very important, serious time that night, he knew who he was. He knew he had come from God. He knew that he had all power. He knew who he was. And third, verse 11. For he knew who was going to betray him. Sitting there around the table was Judas Iscariot. Jesus knew. Judas was going to betray him in just a little while. Now, why, why are those three things so important before we even get to what Jesus did? You know, washing the feet. Well, think about this. Jesus knew what was coming for him that night. Jesus knew what was going to be happening in the hours and days to come. And it wasn't all comfortable. He was going to suffer. He was going to be tried unjustly. He was going to die, nailed to a cross. He knew that. He could have been so wrapped up in what he was going to experience. He could have been so wrapped up in how tough it was going to be. But instead, what does he do? He washes the disciples' feet. He serves them. Secondly, he knew who he was. He knew he had come from God. He knew he had all power. He knew he was going back to be with God. He knew who he was. And he knew that because of who he was, he deserved to be served. If anybody deserved to be served, it was Jesus. He knew he was. And yet, what does he do? He washes the feet of those twelve. He serves them. He lays aside who he is and what he deserves. And instead of expecting those 12 to serve him, he serves them. And third, he knew who was going to betray him. In fact, the man who was going to betray him was sitting right there. That had to be uncomfortable for both Judas and Jesus. But... Jesus, knowing who is going to betray him, and that that man was sitting right there, what does he do? He washes that man's feet. He serves him. Those three verses are really important here. Because they magnify what Jesus is doing. He's serving these men. He's doing the servant thing. He's doing the thing that servants were supposed to do when guests came. He's doing the thing none of the disciples volunteered to do when they came. Why would they? They were arguing about who was the greatest. And if you're going to to be the greatest, you're not going to wash somebody's feet. That's a servant's thing. But even though Jesus had all this tough stuff coming... He didn't focus on that. Even though he knew who he was and he deserved being served, he didn't focus on that. And even though he knew right in that group was the man who would betray him, he didn't focus on that. What did he do? It says, he showed them, end of verse 1, the full extent of his love the full extent of his love is about to be shown. And we think, well, wait a minute. The full extent of his love was he went to the cross and died for us. Well, that's a great showing of love. Scripture says no greater love has any man than, you know, he would give up his life. Giving up your life for somebody is a great Love. But it's interesting. John says, now in the upper room, in these next moments, Jesus will show the full extent of his love. What's the full extent of his love? Although he knows exactly what's going to be happening to him in just a few hours. Although he knows who he is, that he came from God, he has all power and deserves to be served. Even though he knows who the man is that's going to betray him and that man is sitting right here, Jesus serves these men in love. And John calls it the full extent. That's almost as far as you can go in loving people. Is to set yourself aside and humbly Serve them, And so that's what he does. He washes their feet. And at this point, you're probably thinking, well, the pastor, he's got this basin and towel here. And, you know, you haven't peeked, so you probably think there's water in it. And you're thinking, oh, great, he's going to ask one of us to come up and take our shoes and socks off. And he's going to demonstrate what Jesus did. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that because, as we'll see a little later, I don't think that was the point of the whole thing. It wasn't about a basin. It wasn't about a towel. It wasn't about water. It wasn't even about washing feet. But what he did was he took his outer garments off because he's going to get down and get dirty. All right? And we're told that he takes the towel, wraps it around him, puts water in the basin, and he washes 24 feet. He handles 24 feet. Washes them, dries them with the towel. And I was thinking this morning, in order to do that, I mean, just picture the scene. We're told they were reclining at the table. This table was low. They weren't sitting on chairs. They were reclining, probably leaning on an elbow around this table as they had this meal. So if Jesus is going to wash their feet, how is he going to do it? Is he going to ask them to stick their leg up in the air so he can wash them? What does he have to do? He has to get down to their level, right? He has to take that basin and he has to get down on his knees and probably slide the basin along around the circle. Which means, how is he going to travel around the circle? He's going to have to crawl, I would think, it would seem strange if after washing each person's foot, he gets up and walks the next one and then down again. I'm guessing he crawled all the way and washed 24 feet. And, of course, that was amazing to Peter, because Peter knew that servants did that, right? Peter knew that when you came to a home, it was the servant Who washed your feet? But Jesus is doing the servant thing, and Peter doesn't want that. He knows who Jesus is. And we won't go into the conversation and all that. But Jesus washes their feet. It's an amazing thing. Because of the three things he knew. But he still humbles himself to wash their feet. Washes the feet of the one who would deny him three times. Washes the feet of the one who will betray him. Washes the feet of the one who will refuse to believe that he's alive after he's risen. Washes the feet of the two brothers who think they can have the best seats in the kingdom. Washes the feet of twelve men who keep arguing about who's the greatest. He gets down, and he serves them. He does the servant thing. Why? To demonstrate what he's been trying to teach them three different times, even in the upper room. you got to be a servant. Serve one another in love. Show humility toward one another. So he moves from the verbal teaching to the demonstration. And then he says, so we come to the end of the passage. Verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord. Rightly so. That's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example. So what I've just done is an example that you should do as I've done. You're not greater than me, and I've done it. I've served you, so serve each other. And you'll be blessed if you do it. So what's Jesus doing? What's the point of this? I already suggested it's, it's not about a basin, it's not about water, it's not about a towel, it's not about feet. I don't think it's even about washing feet. Do you think Jesus is really instituting some kind of sacrament here? Some think so. The churches should have foot washing services. Is that what he's doing? Should we add it to communion? Should we add it to baptism? Is he instituting a sacrament? Is he giving us a new church service to have periodically where we wash each other's feet? I don't know about you, but I don't think so. I think there was something bigger here because of the context. I think because he's already been teaching them about being servants in general and how important that is, that he is simply demonstrating being a servant It happens to be with water in a basin and washing their feet, because that kind of fits the situation. But I think there was a broader meaning. He says, I've set the example. I have just done the servant thing. I have served you. Even though I have tough stuff coming up, and I could focus on myself and play the victim, Even though I know who I am, I'm God. I came from heaven. I have all power. I don't need to do this. And even though one of you is going to betray me, and one of you is going to deny me, and you're all going to scatter, and one of you is going to doubt, I'm still going to serve you. I'm still going to do the servant. And that's what I want you to do, too. I want you to serve each other. I want you to lay aside your big egos. Because that's what you got to do if you're going to serve people, right? We selfish, self-centered people, if we're going to really serve each other in love, we have to be willing to set aside our egos. Because it's a humbling thing. There are times when we are called upon to serve people, and the way in which we serve them is kind of easy for us. It's kind of comfortable. You know? If, if, if some of you found out, and I would be included, that somebody needs help, they need their firewood stacked. There are those of us who would be right there to serve those people. And we enjoy stacking firewood. We like doing it. There are a lot of ways we serve each other that are comfortable, that are easy, that we enjoy doing. And we need to keep doing that. But friends, I want to suggest that the, in, the serving, the servanthood that Jesus is demonstrating and teaching goes beyond serving people in ways that are comfortable to us and that we enjoy doing. Sometimes serving calls for us to humble ourselves and lay aside our ego in order to serve. And I think that's the kind of service Jesus is talking about, the humble servanthood. A couple weeks ago, I saw a need and I decided to help this person by putting their stockings on for them. You know what I had to do to do that? First of all, I had to get down on the floor because that's where his feet were. And at my age, it's hard to get up again. But I had to get down on my knees to put his socks on for him. The second thing is, I had to handle his bare feet. I... I can't stand that. I don't let Janine handle my feet. And even if she asked me, I wouldn't handle her feet. <laughs> There's just something about feet. Now, if, if he needed his shoes put on, I could do that. Easy service. But I had to get down on my hands and knees and touch his feet and put his socks on. You see the difference? There's some serving of others that's comfortable, it comes easy, we enjoy doing it. And then there's the serving others that calls for humility and discomfort. My father-in-law Bob, from the day he met me till the day he died, called me Bjornquist. And in his last weeks and months, he spent some time in a facility in Bemidji. And I, he was in a wheelchair at that time. And I remember one day, Sunday afternoon, we were visiting him in the dining room. And uh, we're talking, having a good time with him. And all of a sudden he says, Bjornquist, i got to go to the toilet. Can you push me back to the room? And I said, sure. And so I pushed his wheelchair down the hall to his room. And I pushed him into the room, and I opened the bathroom door, and I pushed him in, and then I stepped outside. And I hear, Bjornquist, where are you? I need help. You see, I can push a wheelchair. I can serve people that way. But when their need is to help them use the bathroom, that takes humility. But I did it. You see the difference? We are to serve one another in love. And there are times when that service is going to be easy, enjoyable, comfortable. We like to do those things to serve people. And we need to continue that, serving each other. But I think Jesus was going even further here. I think he was demonstrating a service that calls for humility. You see, friends, we are going to be called upon to sacrifice our egos much more often than to sacrifice our lives. When it comes to serving people, God is going to call upon us to sacrifice our egos much more often than sacrifice our lives. And for some of us, that's really difficult. We would rather not do the serving that calls for humility. And these disciples had big egos. They've proven it with their arguments about greatness. And Jesus wants them to see by demonstration what humble servanthood looks like. And I don't think he meant, okay, you guys got to go around washing each other's feet or, you know, no, the point was, stop arguing about greatness and competing and comparing. Set your egos aside and serve each other in love. Humbly serve each other, even if it's uncomfortable. Even if you have to get on your knees. Serve each other. So, two Application questions. <clears throat> what, would ta- what would it take for you to think like a servant? Because that's really where it starts with servanthood. You've got to start thinking like a servant, you've got to start thinking humbly, you've got to learn how to set aside that ego, that self centeredness. What's it going to take? For us to start thinking like humble servants. Our minds need to be transformed, right? We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. God, by His Spirit, needs to get control of our minds and our thoughts and help us lay aside that ego and that self-centeredness and start thinking like a servant. Because when you start thinking like a servant, you start acting like a servant. What's it going to take for you? And secondly, would you be willing to pray to actually ask God for an opportunity to humbly serve someone this week? I'm only asking for this week. Would you be willing to pray this morning and then pray every day this week for God to give you an opportunity to follow the example of Jesus and not wash somebody's feet, but to humbly serve somebody, that he would give you that opportunity to serve someone, maybe not in a comfortable way, maybe not in some way that you enjoy, but in a way that would call for humility and setting aside your ego. Would you be willing to ask God to do that? To give you that opportunity? Now for some of us, (laughs) before we even start praying about it, we know what it's going to be. We even have a name coming to our mind right now. We already know somebody in our life who has a great need, and we've been resisting the idea of serving them because it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to mean setting aside my ego. Um, It's going to be a sacrifice. It's going to be hard. Maybe you already know what it's going to be and who it will be. But for many of us, we don't. Are you willing to pray? And when God lays that opportunity before you, are you willing to take it? And practice humble servanthood. Serve one another in love. Show humility toward one another. They go together. Let's pray. Before I close in prayer, if if you want to pray that prayer right now so you don't forget, I'll give you a moment, if you're willing to ask God, to give you the opportunity to follow the example of Jesus and humbly serve someone this week. Father, if if you answer this prayer, and I believe you will, it's a prayer that's according to your will. I ask that by your Spirit you would give us the power and the willingness to set our egos aside and to serve, to humbly serve. Father, that will bring glory to you. That will allow us to be like our Lord and Savior Jesus. And that will bring joy to our lives to serve humbly. Amen.